guys uh adam here uh colin will not be joining us this week sad to say uh this is gonna be an interesting experiment in form we're breaking away from our usual conversation driven uh podcast style to do something different i'm doing a uh commentary track for the 1979 film mad max the original film in the mad max trilogy or quadrilogy i guess at this point um so it, this the movie streaming on Netflix now, um, and the idea is that I'm hoping that you will watch the movie uh, along with my commentary track. So let's bring up Netflix, uh, bringing up Mad Max. Here it is right now, and I'm going to count down from five, and then I'm going to start the movie. All right. So I think everybody should have time to be ready. So it's going to be, after I say one, I'm going to say go. And when I say go, press play. So five, four, three, two, one, go. This score is so intense. First of all, the score is just crazy. And then this title sequence... Boom! And oh, this huge trumpets blare. I mean, it, this movie does not waste any time. This movie does not screw around. This is a high-intensity, pure cinema motion picture. Uh, so I want to note that br- this is not Brian May of Cre- Queen fame. It's not the Brian May who played guitar in Queen who did the, the score. It's a different guy named Brian May. So I think he should change his name to Brian May not be the Brian May you're thinking of. All right, that's very interesting. A few years from now, and that's the only uh, cue we get that it's the apocalypse, aside from these visual cues that are throughout the movie. So you have this dude, (laughs) this tubby tubby sniper cop uh, looking at two people fucking. Um, Another cop is in the car, kind of a, kind of like an asshole, kind of, you know, But there's a cop killer. Okay, so then this guy, the scope, <laughs> a killer cop. He looks very young, kind of a Kyle Rittenhouse vibe. Uh, hopefully that that reference won't make sense in a couple months. But here we are. So highway sex, you know, high fatalities, lots of death. But here's what's interesting about this film and, and why I was so fascinated by it and why I'm doing the commentary. So this is... Oh, yeah, first of all, watch this introduction of, of Mel Gibson. This takes forever. It's amazing. So here you see his boots, all right? That was Mel Gibson's boots. Now it's back to this tubby guy, the tubby cop, who's got with the other Joker cop. Move over. Yeah, there was, um, when this movie came to home video in America in the 80s, there was a, it was dubbed over <laughs> so you wouldn't get these Australian voices, which is crazy because they're great. I remember watching when I was in high school, and I couldn't stand the dubbed version. It seemed like the worst movie in the world. Okay, so now we have the back of 
Mel Gibson's head he, and, you know, his shirt. He's still not in his costume. He's got grease on his hands. Uh, we still haven't seen his face straight on. All right, this guy, he's amazing. Uh, the Night Rider. This uh, obviously years before the TV show. All right, so now Mel Gibson's suiting up. Still, it's like this the longest montage intro for uh, a main character. It's so crazy. Oh, yeah. So throughout this movie, there's going to be a question of how did they film all these car chase sequences? Uh, some of it is that it was filmed with uh, this like wide-angle lens that uh, they wanted it to be a widescreen movie, and I think it was a happy accident that uh, the way that the lens worked, the 35-millimeter wide-angle lens, that it made things uh, in, the, in the background look closer. So everything looks like re- really close. Like whenever they're filming, like impossibly close to get to a car. Look at that. You'd be hit by a car. Look at this. Like the cars look inches away from you. Yeah, that looked like the, the car's fucking hitting the camera. And some of that's just the, the camera lens. And I think a lot of it's just the outlaw uh, of bravura filmmaking that George, uh, George Miller and his crew were doing uh, when they filmed this. He was a former medical doctor, like, which is crazy. Like, he worked in emergency rooms before he made this movie. Um, so this movie, it's set right at the, uh, the, right at the onset of the apocalypse. Like before, it just said a few years from now, and then there's a skull and crossbones in the road, right? So society here is crumbling, but uh, the, the institutions are crumbling, rather. But, you know, people haven't really caught up to that fact yet. And this is sort of like this, uh, the, the, the Mad Max series becomes like... Um, accidentally becomes like a masterpiece because it continues down the the the, the crumb the crumbling of, of civilization post uh, breakdown of institutions so the first one like the institutions are crumbling and kind of you get a good sense of that but there's still a little bit of like uh, a ghost of them lingering or some something about them some kind of presence some kind of attempt to make it feel like it's you know feel like they're still in power. Like, you know, you still have these cops, but they're clearly, like, they're clearly, like, outlaw, not accountable to anybody, and they're disorganized, and they uh, lack resources, and they're, they're, they seem like another street gang, honestly, just like, you know, but they wear matching uniforms, and uh, they, you know, sort of are police, you know, but, I mean, you'll see, like, they're, like, sort of a vigilante force, and they're also embattled, like even if if you oh this okay yes this is um this actor is amazing it's a real weird accident of history to me uh, that this guy is not actually Mad Max because he's so much he actually is much better in this movie than Mel Gibson is oddly enough like I like Mel Gibson he's good but this guy's like all the personality and all the charisma is this dude the guy who plays Goose. Yeah, look at him. <laughs> oh, man, this guy's got... Yeah, he's just a cool guy. He's got this swagger and kind of goofball energy and looks good on a motorcycle. And Yeah, it's great. He's, uh, I, I've, I think it's almost kind of sad that... Oh, this guy, I think, wrote the movie. The guy with the beard looks like a modern-day hipster. Only seen in the movie. Uh, look at all these road racing scenes. It's so 
so intense and so well done. And again, like, I have no idea how these shots were taken. Beautiful. Look at this beautiful widescreen shot. And you kind of just get the crumbling civilization through imagery. Oh, yeah, there, there's a bunch of, like, putting very young children in danger throughout this movie, which is way more hardcore than you expect. Also, a lot of, like, really curly-haired ladies, like super curly hair. Like, maybe they couldn't get conditioner in Australia. Oh, yeah, and this real goofball energy from these guys. And, uh, oh, man, look at that poor kid. So, yeah, you see this crazy car chase going on. And, again, you have these, like, outlaw killer cops. There you go. Boom. Amazing. Look at that. Look at that. Incredible. Just incredible. Like, you know, you can't... There, there's something... Like, everything's CGI now. It's all, like, computer cars flipping all over in modern movies. But you actually see, like, these visceral car chases and and it's it's different so much better you know (laughs) this is great that car looks like it's just gonna catch on fire any second it's awesome it's still a dope looking car yeah and they're they're peeling out these guys like a comedy duo a very interesting way to start this movie (laughs) look at that like how do you get that close and go I, i don't know that he must be like hanging a camera from underneath a truck Ah, uh, how do you do that? Oh, here's the kid. Oh, uh, pure cinema. Like, you know, woo, woo. Man, like that editing, that was Hitchcock, you know, total Hitchcock. Like, let's, let's, let's start cutting the imagery faster and faster and faster. Uh, right before I started this, I, whoa. That was kind of cannonball runnish. Oh, look at that. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful imagery. And look at this guy. Oh, yeah. See, this guy's so charming. I don't know. I almost got you myself. I see uh, these guys, these losers. And, and yeah, so this, they're very interesting because they seem so... They seem so comedic, and you also think they're going to be in the whole movie when this is really their only scene. It's very interesting, but you, uh, it's also really cool that you get to know this entire police force early on, and it feels like a bunch of guys that you know, and you're going to hang out with them through the whole movie. I mean, I think that maybe when audiences first saw this movie and they saw it was called Mad Max, maybe they knew that wasn't going to be the case, that it was maybe it's going to narrow going to uh, narrow its focus and start, you know, just go back to Mad Max. A fuel-injected suicide machine. Wow. These are all ACDC lyrics, which I, you know, obviously ACDC is awesome, but uh, also, you know, Australian. Uh, Australian band. They're like the Australian Elvis. <laughs> probably not. I, I think if you're actually, like, knew more about Australian music, they're probably the most famous band from Australia, but probably in Australia there's somebody that people, you know, revere more uh, as, like, you know, the Australian Elvis. But anyway, it's cool that, they, that the guy just rattles off some ACDC lyrics. The toe cutter, he knows who I am. I, I like that this guy's, like, such a motor mouth. And so I guess that the guy who wrote the screenplay was this journalist, and he put in all this, like, hyper verbiage. So it's, like, all this, like, really heightened heightened like uh, erudition and words and it's like it's beautiful you know like 
uh, you'd also there. This would continue on the later films, like all like the announcing of um, Lord Humongous, like the Ayatollah of rock and roll in uh, the second one, and obviously you know, whenever uh, a Morton Joe is talking in that very elevated language in um, in Fury Road. Uh, this is great too. Just like the emotion. Ooh, wow, look at that! That close up, and he just gets spooked, which is very interesting. Like he just gets scared. And he starts crying, which is, again, very interesting. Like, the heightened emotion of it. So he kind of just, like, loses his cool in a really unexpected way. And, it's, and by the way, we still haven't seen Mel Gibson in this movie head-on yet. We haven't seen his whole face yet. And, and, but you've already, like, seen him cut, and, and, and he's made this guy the main antagonist. Like, he's made him cry. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a better introduction to a character in a movie. Oh, look at this. This is so intense. How do they get the camera so close? I mean, I, again, I know about the wide-angle lens, but that just looks like like someone's going to get killed. There actually, there was a stunt later in the movie that there was a long-standing rumor that somebody got killed in it, and they slept in the movie. Oh, look at this! Yeah, this, this is another great George Miller technique of over-cranking... <laughs> Everything goes into fast motion. Oh, man, look at that explosion. That looks so cool. Now, our first shot of Mel Gibson. Look at that. That's amazing. I mean, that, amazing. And we already, uh, you don't have to tell us that he's anything about him. You don't have to tell us that he's a tough guy, he's good at driving or anything. We already know. He's already, like, brought this, like, villainous creep. Uh, Every beer that they drink in this movie just looks super delicious. Look at that. What is that? I don't know. It's like it looks dark and, you know, dark. Good. <laughs> There's such an interesting um, fake out. Like you think that's just atmospheric music and then it turns out to be the wife playing saxophone. I mean, you don't know that she's a wife yet, but I think that you could probably infer it from, from here. And there's kind of an echo of this, of the blind saxophone player in um, uh, uh, Beyond Thunderdome. So... I got to say, so the, she's kind of the weak link of the movie, the, the wife. Like, I don't think her character is just a little bit like, kind of like just this, I don't know. I don't know. She's, I, I don't want to say too much bad stuff. I feel like her, the actress's performance is a little flat and the character doesn't really have much to say. I mean, she's kind of like a, just a normal 70s lady, you know, like kind of hippie-ish, but, you know, like probably into like macrobiotics and you know, uh, macrame and, uh, other things that start with macro, <laughs> macroeconomics. Yeah. And also, but it's very interesting. Like, uh, Mel Gibson, he's very young in this and he, his character is different. You can tell he plays it different. It's also very interesting. Cause like, yeah, this is a really nice looking domestic scene, you know, like, um, and look at this, this is a beautiful house. Look at that beautiful view. And so, yeah, this is why I picked this movie, because I think that this movie resonates with what we're going through now, this kind of slow crumbling of institutions. Um, She looks kind of like Jennifer Grey in uh, Dirty Dancing a little bit. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Maybe it's just the hair. But, like, so it's like the the realization that our institutions are crumbling hasn't quite caught up with our reality. Like, there's kind of a a sense of unreality about, like, our, um, 
our access to domestic, uh, I don't know, luxuries, you know, and, and comforts, you know, like I was trying to explain like being in lockdown in, in, um, in COVID-19 New Jersey during the great depression. I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's the apocalypse, but you know, we have croissants from Costco, you know? So it's weird. There's this disconnect to it. And I think that, uh, it's not intentional because how could it be, but it's, it definitely feels very parallel to our moment. Uh, I don't know. She's doing some kind of hand. What's this deal? Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I, so yeah, I don't know. Just like their relationship doesn't, it feels like a real relationship in the sense that like real relationships can be boring. Oh, that's so great. That hall of justice thing. So yeah, that's the biggest visual cue that, um, you know, things have fallen apart. Oh yeah. And this is young, young actor, uh, young actor, Mel Gibson really going for it, trying to prove how talented he is. Um, they always, you know, it's funny, like in their early roles, all these iconic actors will do something like juggling or something. Like if you watch bachelor party, there's uh, with Tom Hanks, there's like a three minute scene where he's juggling and dancing. It's like, Hey, look at how talented I am. And, uh, yeah. So here's Mel, Mel Gibson tried that, but I think it, uh, George Miller wisely cut it down. Oh, this is incredibly interesting. First of all, this, this character, the, the mechanic, like, what the fuck is that? Like spaceship thing in the back. Uh, it's really weird. Um, some experimental rocket car, I guess. Never gets any play in the movie. But yeah, so this guy's only in this scene, the mechanic, and he is, but his performance is really great. All right, look at that shot. Yeah, the last of the V8s. He's so good. And it's very funny here. Yeah, he's kind of like a rockabilly guy. He's got this interesting stutter and uh, all this enthusiasm about it's like very youthful, innocent enthusiasm about motors and cars that sort of uh, echoes the Mad Max Fury Road, um, the war boys, like, you know, with their half-lives, uh, you know, like shiny and chrome forever. Like that same, um, that same f- uh, uh, energy. And look at this, look at Mel Gibson. Like he's so, he's like a kid at Christmas. It's so interesting. Oh, he piece him here, piece him there. Yeah. And he looks enthusiastic. And this, uh, he's, yeah, this is, well, I want to get to this, because this is, I like when he says, when do we go for a ride? That's such a frat boy thing. And again, there is this sort of like, uh, like the war boy thing of like, just, um, sort of liberation and identity through uh, motor vehicles, you know, through speed. And so I guess uh, from what I understand, the this is very interesting. I think this the movie's very indebted to, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, the guy has a, uh, a fencing hat, a fencing helmet for no reason, or I don't know, I don't know what that sport is, but a very interesting choice. This guy, by the way, he looks amazing, the police chief. He looks like something out of an anime movie. Um, so I guess the impetus, from what I understand, the screenwriter, um, 
uh, who's a journalist, an Australian journalist, he said that he was inspired by the uh, oil crisis for this. Now, a lot of people think, associate um, the Mad Max film series with post-nuclear war and nuclear fallout, but it's really not the tr- not really what caused the apocalypse that these movies occur in. Um, it's really just about uh, resources drying up. At the intro of <laughs> The Road Warrior, a.k.a. Mad Max 2, they just talk about the machines stop moving, there's no more oil. And so, that, but then people can't stop driving and they can't stop using machines. So, I, I don't think, I, I, it's very tempting, and I don't think it's too much of a reach to say these movies intentionally or not an interesting commentary on capitalism because, like, you can't stop this this pursuit of freedom through um, through machines, through cars, even though the machines are really... You, you feel like you're using them, but they're really using you. Uh, uh, this is an amazing scene. Uh, this is just iconic here. I, uh, the, the actors in this scene... Uh, like first of all, that woman is beautiful. Second of all, all these people are just these amazing faces. Like you're, uh, look at that. Like look at these guys. Like that guy. That guy looks like Bon Scott in the back. <laughs> the guy in the red hoodie. I have all these. Um, and this guy is really funny. She's beautiful. I don't know. I, she doesn't. I don't think she talks a lot in the movie, but she's so physically striking. I was like. Just wow, you know this guy uh, looks like he just stepped out of like a 1950s John Ford Western. Actually, a lot of the movie does. Um, but yeah, so you have this: the institutions are crumbling, but people still love their machines. And now this lawless element is starting to rise up. So it's just the beginning of the end of days. Like this is what the first of the end of the days look like. Oh, uh, here he is, the toe cutter. So we've heard about the toe cutter from another guy. I know the toe cutter, you know. So there he is. He's also the same actor who played a Morton Joe in, in Mad Max Fury Road, which blows my mind. It really blows my mind every time I think about that. He is the bad guy, the main bad guy in the first and the last Mad Max movies. Also, it's kind of crazy that this guy seems to have a Pepsi logo on the side of his um, motorcycle helmet. Right, these guys start slow dancing here, and which is really interesting because clearly, like this is George Miller's first movie and low budget, so they're all Australian actors. They're all much just been taken from my like, drama schools and theaters, whatever. So you have all these like theater guys, I think that are trying to be tough. I don't know. I read somewhere they're a real street gang, but like the way they act, they're very like dramatic and they dance around like they want to show off their dance training and stuff. Um, not this guy so much, this deadpan guy. <clears throat> but you'll see like they dance and stuff. And it seems a little bit like unrealistic or, or, or a false note. But I was saying about this, so it, cause it is the beginning of the end of days. And if you ever look at like cults or even like drug scenes or um, like the Manson family, or even just like if you're talking about like people who go like club kids in the '90s, it's like, well, we were all you know having fun and taking a lot of ecstasy, and we everything felt real good. But then after a while, like somebody got murdered, and you know death came in. So it's like initially with these things, like it's 
like it's fun and freedom and and expressiveness and this performative thing like would that would be friendly to like people who would be kind of like uh the, theatrical and performative and stuff um but then you know thing, the days get darker and uh those people either toughen up or leave or or die uh, <laughs> the night rider ah he's so good the night rider yeah <laughs> I like how he has like one eye with eyeshadow. Oh yeah, so in the background you have the guy with the curly hair and the uh and the white scarf who he he's a big part in this movie. Uh he's one of the main characters, but he, he reminds me so much um of Jello Biafra, uh lead singer of the Dead Kennedys. I don't know. I don't know if that's a fair comparison or not, but I, I every time I see him like Jello Biafra. The blonde guy who's awesome is he seems like he should be in the movie a lot more than he is, but I think he's only in a couple key scenes. And a lot of hissing from uh, from the toe cutter. This guy in the background, he looks awesome. Anyway, so let's talk about capitalism. So this is a movie about how people s- pursue uh, liberation and freedom through, you know, uh, machines and, and consumer goods, namely motor vehicles, but actually, like, these things possess them. Like, they don't use the cars. Ultimately, like, automobiles use them uh, because it gives rise, like, this. If you, this is not intentional about this movie, but you look around, like, there's a low, like, low population density. Uh, there's a lot of farms. You see a lot of green. Like, this is a nice place to live in. Like, people's needs would be met. You know, like, you don't need to um, fight. You don't need to fight, or you don't need to scrounge for resources. Uh, these guys are, these are the very theatrical, like, theater kid kind of guys. Yeah, and they start dancing and singing and stuff. Which, oh, yeah, and it's, like, very, like, when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. But also kind of threatening, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very like theater kid trying to be, pretending to be tough kind of vibe. But like I said, it works. There's a logical reason for it. So, yeah, so you think that you're using the cars, but the cars are really using you. And it's like, you know, throughout the movie, you see low population density, you see farms, you see sheep, you see crops, uh, you see like nice places to be, maybe not this town necessarily, but you like later you'll see like beaches and woods and stuff. And so this is not a, this is not a, a time of scarcity, not quite yet, but, um, uh, so all you have to do is really just give up the motor vehicles, just give up the cars and give up the motorcycles and just, you know, Ten lands, and you know you can have lives. You know you can have a civilization, but people are not willing to give up, uh, willing to give up their motor vehicles and their car culture and their consumer goods, and so uh, that gives rise to the crumbling of institutions and and lawlessness, and you know these very like um, <laughs> very kind of uh, you know MAGA kind of. Uh, biker guys. Oh, this is amazing. Just like look at this. So again, like yeah. So I think that the film right now, the film canister is probably overcranked, so they shot it slow, and so we're seeing it now. So it looks fast. It looks sped up, and this is so scary. <laughs> yeah, incredible, incredible editing throughout. But you know, so every anytime anything anything really intense happens, like it it cuts faster. Classic. 
Hitchcock uh, language of cinema, you know, language of suspense. Look at this. So, yeah, so, you know, you feel like you'd be safe inside your car and you can escape, but no, you're trapped. Again, you know, maybe non-intentional metaphor. Oh, yeah. And this, uh, this is so, uh, like everything is such tight close-ups and so fast. It's all just explosions of glass and everything's tumbling down. Yeah, and they're just destroying this car. And it's a pretty cool car, which is a bummer, obviously. But and this girl's scream is so amazing. Oh, yeah, here we go. I mean, now this is pure cinema. Like, this is like uh, Sergi Eisenstein. Oh, yeah. It's a montage. Pulling him out. Oh, this guy. Moments that he said, no worries. Oh, yeah, look at this shot. This crazy crane shot. Oh, yeah. And that bird thing. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. This is, this is like some advanced filmmaking. It really, really is. I, oh, my God, yeah. So the, this... <laughs> this motor, motorcycle, the sidecar, this is the craziest vehicle. It looks like a matchbox thing. This looks like something that wouldn't exist in the real world. Look at this, a little, a little uh, uh, clear plastic bubble that goes over the lady. I don't, I, that couldn't work. That would just fly off if you tried to use it. Or if you'd be inside it, you'd just be so so hot and uncomfortable. I mean, just like it looks, it looks so cool. It looks so, so cool. And I don't know if they – I think you see it moving for like one second – this guy, he looks like um, Marky Ramon. <laughs> Animal boy, yeah. Kind of like a buff Marky Ramon. Yeah, look at that thing. Amazing. Yeah, all the vehicles uh, are great. Nice side swipe. Very uh, old school Star Wars. Oh, look at this guy. Yeah, see all the personalities on the... Yeah, this is very interesting. <laughs> his there's blood coming out of his asshole which is just a horrible detail and this guy just just totally i love that what a turkey <laughs> adding uh, uh you know adding insult to injury the guy's you know clearly had a real bad time <laughs> And then he has the cop that's coming to save him, calling him a turkey because he's running away, uh, which is the only thing to do that would make sense in this situation. Uh, so, yeah, this is a little, this is a little, something a little fuzzy on. I, I don't really get the plan here. So this, the Jelly Biafra guy, uh, they left him behind, and I don't know, I don't know quite why. I mean, you see why later... Because the, the film, in a way, it's very indebted to Dirty Harry, which is kind of the worst thing about it. Because um, kind of like Dirty Harry, uh, and you know, like a vigilante cop who, you know, whatever. But it's set in the future, and it's more intense. But so you have that same kind of, like, Dirty Harry's a very reactionary movie. Uh, this poor girl. And this guy, you know, trying to use all his ca uh, charisma. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm a little fuzzy on like what the plan was for this guy because you see what happens later, and it's it's actually very funny. It's a very interesting thing. Yeah, Mel Gibson's trying to make sense of him. He really has not said a lot in this movie. This guy comes in, and uh, yeah, he's he just seems to have all the charisma. <laughs> he drops out of the movie, and you miss him. It's kind of like um, I hope you know, I guess spoiler alert. Oh man, this poor girl. 
like a charm bracelet, something that like a, a, a middle schooler would wear. Oh yeah, you can't believe him. I thought maybe like the shoe, another shoe is going to drop here. Like he's going to approach her, and then they would have like you know the car would have exploded. Uh, I, I don't know if that guy's supposed to be high or what. Yeah, because like I said he's high. I don't know, and they left him behind for some reason as some kind of trap. And I don't know if he was did it on purpose or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, uh, another miracle camera angle. Like, look at this. Where the fuck is the camera on this? Like, I guess he's standing uh, in that truck holding the camera. It isn't like an iPhone. Like, it was probably a lightweight camera for the time. But so you're holding a goddamn movie camera with film as it's moving, like, you know, high speed. I don't know. Johnny, the boy is in it again. This time it's a scrubber. He's never going to learn. I don't know what that's all about. Maybe he was, maybe he was like, uh, he was raping the girl or something. And that's why he was back there. Cause he just got high and raped the girl. And now they're mad at him. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but also it's important because you do. You also get the sense that the toe cutter doesn't like the Jello Biafra guy. I don't know his name. I'm just going to keep calling him Joe Biafra. And uh, this guy doesn't like him either, which is very interesting. I mean, like, I don't know, because he becomes one of the main antagonists, and all the bad guys kind of hate him. And he had the halls of justice with the U falling down. So great. And, oh, yeah, and inside, it just looks so beaten down. So clearly, like, the cops are not... You know, they they they're not they don't have much money or something. I don't know. Like what? I, it's a farce. Like the, the the police force is a bit of a farce. But it's also like if you didn't have these, you know, if you didn't have cars, if you didn't have gasoline and stuff, you probably wouldn't need the cops because everybody would just be on this kind of subsistence farming thing or living in cities or and it isn't like the cops are all that. Great, like the you see in the opening scene that they're all like hell bent on murder, and they're the one guy was spying on the <laughs> spying on the couple having sex. You know, they're not they're 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 not angels. All right, there's that guy. All right, and look at this guy. The the chief once he's in his his uniform, he's about a head taller than everybody else. All right, and this guy, yeah. So remember, this guy was like the. He's like the comedic duo at the beginning, and now he has like that throat thing because he got his throat cut. <laughs> Talking like Daft Punk, vocoder. All right, there you go, Jello. Also, this guy kind of looks like um, he kind of looks like um, the guy in Knives Out, the James Bond guy. Uh, what's his What's his name? Craig something? Daniel Craig? Yeah, he looks like Daniel Craig. This guy's so amazing. And then, I don't know why, the, why is the, why, I'm also not sure why Goose is mad at this guy for the connection with Knight Rider. Um, I don't know why they're mad at him. I mean, they got the better of Knight Rider. They killed him, you know? Oh, yeah, so then you have these, <laughs> these guys are hilarious. These guys are amazing. It, it, it's like they stepped out of a Buster Keaton movie or, or a sitcom. Like, <laughs> that guy with the cane. And the other guy just looks like, uh, 
a nerd. It's like the guy from uh, Police Academy, the guy, the flower shop owner who. Uh, uh, I forget the actor's name, but he was also in Saturday Night Live. Um, I guess that no, I guess that nobody showed up to um, testify against these bad guys. Uh, announces no. <laughs> Yeah, this is very inde- indebted to Dirty Harry here, which is very... <laughs> that guy's hilarious. I love that tie. That's exactly what you're going to do. He's such a great nerd. Uh, a very Larry, Daryl, and Daryl from Newhart. Or, I don't know. Like, I'm, I know I'm spiraling off of these comparisons, but there's one that's really good, and I'm not quite hitting it. Oh, yeah. And this... Oh, yeah. Dirty Harry, like, I have rights. I have rights. I know my rights. He's just like the uh, the Serpico killer from Dirty Harry. Yeah, and sort of like, you know, the corrupt um, defense attorneys, you know, and it's funny, it's interesting, and it's great. It works as storytelling. I think that, you know, ideologically, it's a bummer because, like, defense attorneys get a bad rap and, you know, uh, but it's, it, works, it works great in the movie. And look at this. I actually thought that this whole thing was a put-on by the cops when I first watched it. Oh, by the way, I watched this movie the first time like two days ago. I, uh, I for a, a lot of reasons uh, that don't make sense in hindsight. I love that where he taps his head twice. I don't know what, why that's so insulting. See you later, Goose. And then he taps himself in the back of the head. I know why. Oh, yeah, here he goes. So they're like, oh, you can't beat him. You're violating his rights. But they, they killed a guy without consequences before. Like, the, I don't know. It's not logically consistent. But it, it works really well as a story, and it's fun. Like that, I, I would highly advise not thinking about that too much. As you can tell, I already did. I mean, just that it's funny how these two nerd uh, lawyers come in and do that Dirty Harry thing where it's like, the system is too corrupt and protects criminals, and, you know, we got to give cops the power they need to really make the streets safe and whatever. Or else, you know, these guys are going to keep taking over or whatever it is, you know. Which is bullshit. Total fucking bullshit. I mean, you know, uh, from the v- vantage point of Black Lives Matter protests and from 2020, you know, it's like, you know, you know, that's bullshit. But whatever. Again, it works as a story. And look at this kind of, look at this beautiful beach. <laughs> so you have a nice, beautiful beach for the pier and this beautiful blue sky. So, you know, the apocalypse, the, the burnt out, uh, the burnt-out apocalypse. Ooh, sexy ladies. Uh, the burnt-out uh, desert apocalypse that you would see in The Road Warrior and Beyond Thunderdome. Not quite happening yet. And that makes sense. I mean, it's not intentional, but it totally makes sense. It totally works. And so if you watch this, this film series, one movie after another sequentially, it'd be very interesting um, because they would just escalate in kind of... Um, intensity and it kind of is a story of um everything crumbling very slowly so right now this is like the last vestiges of society and everybody's kind of holding on to it and so then but then there's this um this kind of uh, i don't know this fascist sort of uh, again, I'm, from, I'm talking from 2020 where everybody's thinking about fascism. You know, but there's, there's these roving street gangs and they're on the rise. And they're clearly going to be like 
they are in power by the second movie. But here, you know, they're just kind of getting their shit together. I don't... I don't know... Yeah, I don't know the point of this relationship exactly. So they all hate him, and I don't know, he's trying to prove himself to the gang or something. I don't know, man. Maybe quit the gang and go sing some fucking, you know, California punk rock with... uh, <laughs> with some uh, surf rock influences. This is a beautiful sequence. It's really weird, too. Terrifying. So he's saying, keep your sweet mouth shut. I don't know what that's in reference to. Like, there's going to be a trial, but they're already, you know, they already let him go. Or maybe, like, he's going to force him underwater. Oh, it's so beautiful. And it's such a beautiful moment of cinematography. And it's just like, oh, okay, this is great. This is amazing. I'm just going to shut up for a second. Look at this lady. Look at those feet. Look at this shot, man. This is so crazy. This is so well done. And I was so pleasantly surprised by how fucking genuinely funky this song is. I did not think there was going to be like a real fucking down funk groove hidden in the first Mad Max movie. You know, and the, the lady's so striking, too. Like, she's a very interesting choice to be the funk singer in this um, kind of, uh, I don't know, future nightclub. Because she looks... <laughs> she's, uh, I mean, she's, you know... She's kind of got the Shelley Duvall vibe, but she looks to me like she could like teach kindergarten. Oh, but the goose likes her, man. The goose is all the goose is on fire again. The beer looks delicious. On oh, the liquor's ride, boom, boom. Such a good tune, man. And taking the edge of the dream. I. <laughs> Intensity, man. Whoa. Intensity and sensuality. <laughs> Yeah, she does. She doesn't look like a. She doesn't really look like a seductress. I don't know, but then, then there we are. You know, she looks like a, a school teacher to me or something. Nice lady, like you know, she could live in the suburbs. Uh, but me, I don't know if she sings that song. If that's a real singer, it sounds almost like it could be like um, some Grace Jones style. You know, lady. What's what is that hanging on the wall over there? Is that just a baby? Yeah, it's just a little baby doll. It's weird. And I don't know what the, yeah, I don't know what was going on there. Like, um, I guess he was just a stud. He's like a cool guy, and there was a sexy singer lady, and he went home with her. But also, I was like, maybe it's like a brothel where you kind of like chat up the performers. Um, who knows what, you know, the, the future is like. <laughs> I guess, you know, in civilization, you know, it'd be like a... Um, in civilization, it'd be like a singer at a nightclub, and she meets a, uh, a handsome cop, and he's charming, and they, you know, get, you know, they 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 hit it off. But I guess in the lawless apocalypse, it'd be like a um, be like a, a brothel, I guess. So yes, this guy, I guess he's trying to prove himself to the toe cutter. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this guy. I don't know why he's lighting hairs on his arm on fire like that. I don't know. He's kind of trying to show that he's like a weirdo or something. I don't know. Beautiful shot here. 
these long flat roads, a desert. Uh, yeah, I don't know how you could have gotten that shot and not be hit by a motorcycle. Oh, look at this. L- look at that. Yeah. I don't even like cars that much, man. But look at this. Look, look how close this motorcycle gets. It like, looks like it's within inches, just within inches of the camera. That's so crazy to me. There are a couple of shots in here. Yeah, like this. How do you do that? You're holding a camera on a moving fucking motorcycle while it's speeding at super high speeds, and it's a film camera. It's a fucking film camera on a moving motorcycle in the middle of the desert. I don't know how the fuck they did that. I mean, maybe they built like a little replica uh, front of the motorcycle. This is a very low-budget movie, and I kind of suspect that they... Um, just had some wild man fucking ride on a motorcycle carrying the camera, which is fucking crazy. Just crazy. Again, yeah. How do you get that shot? How do you do that? I don't know. Very impressive fall. And this is weird because it's sort of like his... His downfall happens twice. It's weird. Like, you know, so they sabotage his motorcycle, and he's in this crash, but he's, like, knocked around a little bit, and he lands in the marshes. So it's soft landing and stuff. So he's doing, like, you know, it could be worse. Like, he's not too injured. I think that guy even, you will know, say something like, not a lot of road rash, but it's weird because like you'll see what happens later. I, I don't know what, I hope that you've watched this movie before. If you're doing, if you're and not wasting it on my voiceover commentary, but it's a great shot. It's very like John Wayne. Yeah. Look at this guy <laughs> wearing his bicycle helmet. Looks like a nerd. Don't ride off the goose until you see the Fox going into the hole. I don't know. Uh, Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> he looks like the singer for fucking um, uh, Angel is a Centerfold. Peter, uh, what's his name? Uh, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Look at that truck. And he leaves the guy at the bicycle, but there's another seat in that truck. All right, so he sings some song. Sounds very Australian. I guess there's no radio in the car. Maybe no radios at all. Maybe uh, maybe that's something that's already stopped. I think I feel like that's something that gets sung a lot in Australia and everybody knows it. So yeah, so here's where he was, has his second crash. Oh, this is great. This is amazing. Boom. Great car crash. Really amazing. So, uh, so yeah. So you get. So you see Goose crash his car twice, quickly in quick succession. I don't know. It's sort of like a fake out, or um, they really want to emphasize it. I don't know. It's just interesting. And there's Jelly Bear. There's Toe Cutter. And. Uh, I don't know if that's a cigarette or a joint. And again, I don't know what they're what they're trying to prove with this with Jelly Biafra here. I don't know like what's his deal. Like they're just trying to intimidate him or, you know, make him 
like be their bitch or something. I don't know what the deal is. I guess it's a hand rolled cigarette, not a joint. Be cooler if it was a joint, I guess. Um, it's probably a limited amount of marijuana <laughs> in Australia in the uh, Mad Max futurescape. A threshold moment for you. I like that. Another great accident, like, is a that fly just on his forehead makes him look way more psycho. And so I, I don't. Maybe it's like his trial by fire. Like he's joining the gang, the gang or something. Oh, I can't. Yeah, trying to make him not be like um, this kind of weasel guy or something. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. And then he kind of does it anyway. <laughs> this guy's so good. He looks like he could like be the bass player of the Damned or something. <clears throat> All right, this is vicious. This part, St. George's Hospital. Oh, well, it's it's coming up. Look at this, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson really has not done a lot or said anything uh, said very much at all in this movie. He really hasn't any. He hasn't really come to the forefront of the movie yet, which is very interesting. But now, you know, now they need to do a bit of acting. This is this this really was a troubling scene for me. I'm just like that sort of Johnny got his gun totally covered by. Oh, God. Yeah, just the silhouette of him. I'm just like, that seemed more terrifying to me than seeing any kind of gory thing. Yeah, I guess George, yeah, so George Miller, look at this. Whoa. And then you just see that, and it's like, doesn't even have fingers. Oh, man. So George Miller, he was an emergency room doctor before he became a filmmaker, which is, oh, and then you're like, are they, are they going to show us his face? And you're like, oh, no. Luckily, they don't, but you see his reaction because it's so like... Brutal. He's so traumatized. And um, you got to kill him, I guess. I don't know. So I guess this is how the police force kind of crumbles. I don't know. I, I don't know if they have any replacements. That thing in there, that's not the goose. No way. I'm not really sure what that's supposed to mean. If, like, maybe he's trying just to be in denial about it or he is, like... His soul has left his body or something. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, it's burned into him. What a great shot. Yeah. And so then, yeah, so he wants to, like, she wants him to leave the police force and go someplace else. And, you know, and which is, you know, probably a good call. Look at this. Look at this, like, comfy domestic situation. All uh, that, like, blankets and pretty, you know, very nice. And that looks like, that looks like the Hamptons, you know, honestly. Like, that looks like the Hamptons or, like, the Cape Cod or something, you know. Not, you know it's like a pleasant beach community. <laughs> Look at that wicker, wicker uh, couch. Oh, man. Mel Gibson. Yeah, one thing... Uh, Peanut butter and honey. One thing that's interesting about Mel Gibson and him being in this movie and starring in it, so you see these other actors, and they're all like um, a lot more like theatrical and performative, but he really, 
he really, really uh, is very reserved through most of the movie. And so he seems, he comes out better. He, come, like, he seems like a better actor because of it. Um, I don't think that Mel Gibson is that good of an actor. And it, uh, I think he's actually kind of corny. Um, and like he, he thinks he's a much better physical actor than he really is. And like if you watch the Lethal Weapon movies, there's always a scene where he like, dislodges his shoulder and has to knock it back into the right place. I don't know, for some reason. You know, and and you see, like, I watched Gallipoli recently. Look at this, this guy in a shirt with no shirt on, watering his plant, no shirt but his scarf. Again, this is just, this guy looks so amazing, watering his plant in his uh, wooden bird cage. But it doesn't look like there's a bird in there. That'd be funny. Again, looks like an anime. Like, I don't know, like he could be like the captain of Robotech. Yeah, son, Mad Max quits the police force, which again, I mean, that seems about, you know, that seems about right. It seems like the right thing to do. You're a winner, Max, you're on the top shelf. Oh, yes, this guy is trying to trying to stand athwart the end of history and say stop Ugh. to uh, fuck, uh, fuck Buckley. But anyway, so this guy is trying to hold back order. And I don't think he realized how, realized how futile that'll be. And so he really looks like he's at like Studio 54 or something. You know, it's so funny. All right, so Mad Max is scared. But so, like, also, I, I don't know if, like, this is at the guy's apartment or his office or maybe both. You don't get a lot of information about the police force um, other than, you know, you know, it's generally crumbling. But, you know, I mean, it's enough. You don't need more. They don't give you a lot of information about the world. And you kind of fill it in with your, you, you fill in the information, which is good. You know, and also it, it, so that way when when you get the more intense world building of the later movies, it all kind of holds together in a surprising surprisingly well. But also, they're, I don't they're not like they're not really hard. Uh, the, there's not a lot of emphasis on continuity with the Mad Max series, which is really nice. Like kind of like the first two. This one and, and Road Warrior um, kind of kind of are like very sequely, uh, and you could argue that like Beyond Thunderdome is you know kind of like that, but it's more like um, like you don't need to have seen this movie to understand the Road Warrior at all. Like I've I've have seen the Road Warrior dozens of times. I'd never seen this movie until today. This is such a weird shot. This whole sequence is weird. Like, they just go off this little, like, vacation-y thing. They get a cute dog, and this guy's in a dumb Sherlock Holmes hat. British Petroleum in the background. I don't know if that's intentional, but that shows how much oil, you know, they can't escape it. They can't escape the crushing of uh, modernity. 
And, you know, and you have this, like, youthful car culture, embrace of car culture by, you know, with art on the side of the car. Yeah. And so now, well, I guess he quits, and then he just goes off to the countryside, and he's going to be with his wife. And I, I don't know what the plan is for them here beyond that. Uh, so this is where the bottom drops out of the movie. For a little while. Because, uh, you know, the, the she's not super interesting and she's not a real great actress. And you don't really know.